Hello and welcome to the new Digital Age PMU podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with some of the amazing women that have taken part in the Practice Makes Some Perfect programme. A course developed in association with Amy Keane that helps women find and finesse their public voices. So Sarah, hi. Thanks for joining me in the NDA and PMU podcast studio. Thanks for having me. Do you want to kick off by saying a bit about yourself, where you are, who, who you are, where you work and what you do there? Yeah, um, so my name is Sarah Kometa um, and I'm a tech consultant slash sales engineer and I've been working in the ad tech industry for over 10 years and I'm here today to talk about um, why tech companies should embrace neurodiversity and it's a subject that's really dear to my heart because I have severe ADHD and have been working in this industry for that long, so. Okay, fantastic. Obviously, in universities, it's quite a big subject now uh, across across all press and every industry, especially especially in ours. But yeah, let's talk a bit about sort of why why should university matter to tech companies? Yeah, so I think really the main reason. I mean, outside of you know just wanting to virtue signal and and to say that you support uh, diversity and inclusion, is really that um, it's an untapped market of candidates who are specifically geared to be able to give them a competitive advantage. So what I mean by that is that, you know, the biggest difference for any tech company is to be able to um, innovate and to be able to solve problems better than the competition. And within the neurodiverse community, you have people that are by definition (laughs) designed or born to think differently and have a unique advantage when solving problems that's backed by research. And the reality is that these people aren't being employed. So today, um, it's estimated that 15% of the population, that's one in seven people, um, are neurodiverse in some way. Um, And the projections are that 80% of those people are unemployed which is crazy. So you have these individuals with the talent to think differently that could add a lot of value to their business, but tech companies aren't employing them. And I think it's a crime, really. They're missing out. What do you think? I mean, I, that's a sort of new stat, one in seven people neurodiverse, which is, yeah, I'm quite surprised by that. But why aren't tech companies doing this, especially if, if it's such a high sort of proportion of people are neurodiverse? What's the problem with tech companies? Yeah, so I think a lot of tech companies will say that they want to support it. Again, like this idea of being inclusive. Um, But the reality is, I think um, most companies don't have a way of disabling their preset conditions of what fit looks like, or what professional looks like, and what good looks like. And so they're not making accommodations in their hiring processes in their managerial processes, in the workplace environment that support these individuals. Um, So even if you just think about someone with autism, going through a screening process of, you know, for recruitment, where they're gauging how, like things like eye contact, how social they are, how gregarious they might be. And these are people that specifically um, tend to struggle with social cues (laughs) and you're screening them out before they can even get through um, and not really evaluating their potential. 
And if you have individuals that actually do make it through the process and are employed by you, um, there's still this idea at work of needing to be able to conform to a certain standard. So for example, you know, I had a boss that um, had a standard of his own about being at work early, not even on time, early, which is like so crushing for someone with ADHD that struggles with like uh, time blindness. And it was really impossible for me. I was the top performing account manager on his team. My clients were bringing in the most amount of money and he had this um, view of me as being you know, insubordinate and not worthy of promotion because I could not for the life of me get there early, let alone on time. And, you know, it took one of my other colleagues like intervening and saying like, look, like you're never going to get her to show up at 8.30. You're never going to get her to be there at 8.30, but you can reach her any time of day and she's performing better than anyone else in your team. So what do you really want? And I think that's the thing is that people don't even realize they have these standards of conformity that they hold people to, to succeed. And they're really excluding so many individuals that can bring them a lot of value. What do companies need to do? I mean, what should that boss of yours, he or she been doing? You know, what companies need to do? And I guess more importantly, how do they know what they should be doing, you know, where's the education coming from? Because I guess, you know, even though this is, this is such a high proportion of people, I guess at the same, a lot of people still aren't aware really, especially of how to treat them in the work environment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a need for awareness, obviously, to talk about it, to be open about it, to say, you know, we know that this exists, we know that many of you might have neurological differences, and we want to support that, but um, it really goes beyond that and being willing to tailor for the specific individual. And I think this is where you find a lot of resistance where like, okay, do we let someone come in a bit later when I'm telling everyone else they have to be there at 8.30? Or do I let someone have a um, noise canceling headphones on the floor, you know, to avoid overstimulation if that's what they need? And I think being able to ask your employees what they need to be successful and being open to what that answer is. So if that's flexible working hours, if that's, you know, for some people less reliance on Slack, right? <laughs> In today's digital environment, right? Um, for some people that's needing advanced notice of when they're gonna have to be on a call with, with people, external people, you can't just drop in and, and video call someone. Um, out of the blue. And so I think it's really about tailoring your management style and being open to supporting the individual's needs to get the most value out of them and changing what value looks like from fitting these tick boxes to being like, well, are they, are they impacting my bottom line? Are they making a difference at my company? Why does it matter if they work different hours to everyone? Or what does it matter if they um, you need uh, special equipment? To, to be supported. And I think that's really what it comes down to and, and not relying on your employees to come out to you and ask you directly. I think that's a big problem as well. So what do you think of all that? You know, when we start talking, I mentioned that university is a, is a you know, hot topic in, in most industry trademarks. They talk about it a lot now. Uh, and there's various levels of initiatives going on. What do you think of that? Do you think the industry is is doing the right thing in the in the work it's doing so far or is it just a lot of empty talk 
Yeah, I think they're doing the right thing in that they're saying that they want to support it. But I think if you go down to like the individual level, they're still not making accommodations to support people really. Um, and you can see that in how individuals who identify as neurodiverse report um, in terms of job satisfaction and, and even just in the stats of how people get promoted, right? And the stats of unemployment as exists today, they're saying that they support these things, but they're not actually incorporating it, like the practices into their um, approach, like specifically for a lot of diversity and inclusion plans, um, nine out of 10 companies, a ridiculous stat um, in the UK, was that they aren't including neurodiversity actually as part of a proactive effort to um, recruit people. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know. Yeah. So nine out of 10 aren't including that. It's more around these, again, these tick boxes of you know, race and gender. Mm. And what I find so funny about that is that you know, the reason why diverse teams perform well is because you have people from different backgrounds that bring something else to the table and think differently than the norm. And so if you actually include neurodiversity as something that you're hiring for and want to support, then um, you know, you're, you're only set up to achieve that even faster potentially um, than just by hitting a quota. Well, what have you seen in terms of change for the for good or the bad over, over the last few years you know as this is raised in in sort of public public awareness have you seen change happening yeah i mean i have seen first of all an increase of awareness understanding like if you spoke to me a couple of years ago neurodiverse wasn't a term that was even on anyone's minds right it was just you know either you have a disorder or you don't <laughs> um and i think being able to disclose is something that's changed like, i didn't Personally, I've been diagnosed since I was 22. Um, and there's a lot of shame still in the community. And there is a lot of shame with employers, but getting to a point where I was even comfortable saying that I had a difference. Um, you know, I don't think I, I know, I definitely wasn't able to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think those are good things that are happening, but we still have more work to do in actually supporting these individuals in the workplace. So what would your advice be to someone like you who still hasn't sort of either made made his or her employer aware of their condition? Um, well, actually, I wouldn't like want to give that person advice. What I'd want to do is give their manager advice. Okay. Again, like don't wait for them to come out. And I think that's the hardest thing is people won't want to disclose because they don't know what the stigma is on the other side. Even if the company is saying they support something, if your individual manager has a standard, and a lot of these individuals have been trying to conform their whole lives and masking their whole lives and being told they're not good enough the way they are and the way they act normally. So it's extremely stressful to say, hey, I have this, this issue and now I expect you to accommodate me. It's too much for an employer to expect their um, employees to do. So in, in the reverse should be ask them directly what works for them and then be willing to make those changes. And in doing that, if you ask every employee that, because everyone does have some difference or preferred ways of working even, you're going to actually get better performance in a better environment for everyone, really. So you're gonna, it's gonna benefit all of your employees. But yeah, I wouldn't put it on the individual. I guess like, you know, don't feel like you have to disclose. And, but if you are really struggling, it is good to come forward and ask for things if you're desperate or, or try and, you know, engage HR if you feel safe enough to you. But really, I think the onus is on management to, to support the employee, not the other way around. Okay, now you mentioned things such as uh, 
dropping on video calls can't be isn't great for everyone you know in the community and obviously over the last year we've been living a very different life where most people are living living on video calls such as i do every day you know so what what's what's the impact of the pandemic been being for the diverse community you know for good or for bad because obviously you know some things now just can't happen as they used to do yeah, I, mean, I think one thing is that it is a really diverse community, so the impact has been for some people are really thriving, and you see this across everyone, right, is that some people are really thriving at working from home and, and find that they can focus better and, and are doing well, um, and some people are really, really struggling. I mean, personally, um, from my perspective with, with ADHD, I was really, really struggling, right? Um, a lot of our company's communication moved to Slack, and Slack is like, the most, it's distracting for a normal person. <laughs> it's incredibly overwhelming and distracting for someone with ADHD. And I could not keep up with the everyday conversation. And also you lose a lot of your everyday, like I had built my life and professional life around a physical workplace environment. So like when I would see people in the hallway or see people sitting there, I would remember something I had to do for them or to remember to get back to them. And I could go up to them in person and say, hey, I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to work on your thing. I just, you know, haven't emailed you back or haven't messaged you back yet. Isolated at home, you know, not only am I more distracted by my own environment, more distracted by the, like Slack and other browsing, um, but also I lose a lot of that, those those triggers that I had set up that um, helped me be successful in the office. And I know other people in the community have experienced that as well, but they have a routine or they've built their life around going to work and then they had to rebuild um, how to be successful from the ground up within their own um, home environments. And it's been really tough. So let's talk about, I, mean, I know, you know, giving advice is often annoying you don't really give advice to people who's come out to their boss, but you talked about what sort of needed at tech companies, but what if you could speak to, you know, all the managers out there in one, one go, what would be your sort of top pieces of advice and how, how they can make sure they're doing a good job in this area, you know, because again, I think that a lot of people would be nervous about making the first step, you know, how do they broach this amongst their employees, especially if they haven't done so so far and realize they've got, they've got to start, you know, so how can people best approach that, take the first step? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's actually just a really easy question just just to say, it doesn't, because you, you don't want to come out and say, I think that you are nervous, <laughs> I think that you have a disorder, have you been tested? That actually has happened to me, which was horrifying. Um, but, uh, and it's just the individual in a really bad place as well. Um, but instead of doing that, it's really just a conversation around, hey, like even saying like, hey, this is how I work best. Like, what do you find helps you work? Or what are the areas that you're struggling to keep up? Um, or if, is, if I made one adjustment um, in terms of what I require of you, like, what would you have me change? Like, for example, like I was miserable at Salesforce admin. Like, I think I was told at one point, like you need to be, you're really good at the hard stuff and really bad at the easy stuff, which the, for a normal person is admin, right? Just putting things in a spreadsheet, but that was like the hardest part of my job. And if it was like, okay, I don't require you to put in your Salesforce immediately after every single um, call, but you can do it in like batch at the end of the week during this one time, you know, just small things. And, you know, if someone had asked me what would make your job life easier, that was one of the things I would have said, you know, <laughs> or don't, don't, you know, surprise Zoom me, you know, it's, it's it is, just that like and you can ask everyone this so that they don't feel singled out 
communication as always. Okay, let's, let's end on a sort of a optimistic note. What? Tell me what makes you happiest. What are you most optimistic about in terms of all these things we've talked about? You know, over the next coming years, what have you seen that makes you think things are going to change for the better? Um, I'm really optimistic because it's part of the conversation now, like you said, that a lot of publications are talking about it, HR departments are talking about it. I think that's the first sign of change is saying that, hey, we know this is something and that we want to support it. And I think what I'm even more excited about is specifically in the field of tech, that companies are starting to experiment with employing these individuals in specific programs. And it's been mostly focused around autism uh, to start with, but, um, you know, the Australia Department of Human Services did a test with neurodiverse individuals and they saw that the neurodiverse team performed uh, was 30% more productive than the standard team and that wasn't part of the program. So, I mean, what's happening is there's evidence now that these um, that employing neurodiverse people gives you advantage as a company. And so I think when you have a monetary reason, when you have a commercial benefit, you see things get adopted a, a lot faster than if, you know, a social uh, obligation or just to just look good or a PR move. So I think, um, you know, companies will be actually scrambling to start to hire more neurodiverse candidates once they realize what the benefits are. So that's what I'm most excited about is that I think it will be an asset in the future. I think it'll be recognized as an asset. Right. Well, that's, that's a brilliant way in which to end. Thank you so much. That was a fascinating chat. As I said, lots of things I hadn't really thought through. So it made me think as well. I hope we'll listen to it too. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Justin. This is great. And thank you all for listening. Goodbye.